Pharmacy giant Rite Aid has filed for bankruptcy in a massive corporate collapse driven by lawsuits related to the company's deadly role fueling the opioid crisis. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us again for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content several days a week. Thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you, if you're not yet, to become a patron today. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. Professor Wolf, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. There's a different parts to this story, Richard, which is true about most stories, but these are these are big parts. I mean, there's one, the opioid crisis, again, fueled really by the capitalist class or sectors of it, which sought to make huge profits and did make huge profits from sort of using addiction as a business model. And certainly the pharmacies were, were well into that. We had, you know, lawsuits from the West Virginia attorney general, other states where Masses of people have become addicted in the last decade, especially, and so many people are dying. So one story is the opioid crisis and how companies are dealing with the many, many lawsuits. Of course, not everyone can declare bankruptcy and thus be protected from the creditors. Certainly, students who have student debt are ineligible to ever declare bankruptcy on those student loans, no matter how big or onerous they are. That's one part of the story. The other part of the story is the concentration, the monopoly element of capitalism, which shows itself in all industries, in auto, in steel, in oil and gas. It's also true in the pharmaceuticals, and it's also true in the so-called drugstores like Rite Aid. The third largest U.S. drugstore chain files for bankruptcy protection because of a mix of high debts, weak sales, growing competition, and impending lawsuit. And the headline here on NBC News, Richard, is Rite Aid bankruptcy means pharmacies will keep dwindling, meaning they will concentrate more and more under the name, under the banner, under the imprimatur of a few bigger and bigger giants. Anyway, let's get started. Okay. You might subtitle a conversation about Rite Aid with that famous line, chickens coming home to roost. Rite Aid is a national chain. It's got thousands of stores. How did it get to be that way? 
by gobbling up, or to use the technical term, monopoly or oligopoly, destroying thousands of small mom-and-pop drugstores, the kind that the older ones among us remember, because that's how mostly drugstores were when we were growing up as children. You had them on every corner. They were something that people needed, like the corner grocery store or the corner hardware store. You had the corner drugstore. And that's what they destroyed, Rite Aid. They weren't the only ones, but they were right in there, undercutting those drugstores, underselling them till they went out of business. And then there were only a few of them left. And what has happened now, and here comes the chickens coming home to roost, is what Rite Aid did to those thousands of drugstores now is being done to Rite Aid by the few bigger fish that are left to swim in this polluted ocean. Let's be real clear. The following, because you can name them, are the six outlets that sell medications and to sell basically what drugstores used to sell. Besides Rite Aid, Walgreens, and CVS, which people know because they're all over the place. But you may not know that equally competitive are Walmart, Target, Costco, and Amazon. Those monsters are destroying or have now destroyed Rite Aid. Indeed, you could see it because it was only a very few years ago that Walgreens, if I recall correctly, purchased two or 3,000 Rite Aid outlets from Rite Aid, converted them to Walgreens. So there you have a huge chunk taken out of Rite Aid, and that put the handwriting on the wall. Death of the company was only a matter of months or maybe a couple of years away. So that's the first thing. We are watching in this bankruptcy the relentless way that capitalism destroys many small competitors to leave us with a very small number, sometimes only one, remaining standing. And of course, as there are ever fewer of them, it's easier for them to coordinate among themselves to make sure that their profits are high, that the gap between what they pay for the stuff in the drugstore and what we then have to buy it in the drugstore for is to the advantage of those few. They're not supposed to get together and coordinate. We have all kinds of laws, but these laws have been on the books for a century, and they have not stopped the process from happening, so there's no reason to really expect them to do it here either. But there's an even bigger point that I'd like to make. The truth is, we don't know and the journalists who write the stories about this right aid bankruptcy don't know the truth, which is what's really going on here. Because we have to listen to the managers, the CEO, the top executives, the board of directors. That's a tiny number of people. 
Rite Aid had tens of thousands of employees. These monster companies usually do. And they are kept in the dark, too. All the basic decisions, all the crucial information about what went wrong, what bad decisions were made, all of that is kept secret. The law allows them to keep it secret. The journalists can't get it, and we, therefore, can't know it. Why is this important? Well, here's some examples. Maybe the leadership of Right Aid made one bad decision after another. To hear them talk about it, it's nothing they did that had anything to do with this collapse of the company. Oh, no, it was litigation by the victims of an opioid crisis. It was competition from other companies. It was Notice, it's everybody else, every other authority, public or private, their own mistakes? Mum's the word. We'll never know. This means we can't draw lessons from this. We can't draw lessons about how to better serve the public. We are not better served by having fewer drugstores rather than more drugstores. That's silly. We don't know, even if the bigger stores can buy things more cheaply, they are not obliged to pass the savings on to us. They can buy things more cheaply because they're monsters, and that will allow them to keep the price exactly where it was before, yielding them bigger profits. Are they doing that? We don't know. Might they do it? We won't know. Why? Because we allow private enterprises whose job it is to maximize their private profits to be the entities serving us as a whole society. But they're not serving us. That's secondary. They will tell you what their number one priority is, it's profiteering, making money for their shareholders. Even now, the bankruptcy, just to remind everyone what it means, it doesn't mean right aid is going out of business. What it does mean is that a handful of lawyers working together with the courts and with the owners and managers of right aid will decide how they're going to go about stiffing the people who are creditors to them. You know, the companies that produce something, sold it to Rite Aid, and are awaiting payment. They may be waiting a long time. Maybe they'll go in and raid the pension fund of workers, if they even have one. They're about to carve up this dead animal in ways that, you guessed it, is profitable for all of those involved, the lawyers, the shareholders, and yes, the creditors too. And they're going to carve this thing up for them and not for us. And maybe the end result will be that we're going to have to go six miles further to get to a drugstore than we used to have to do. In other words, 
we are watching the way the capitalist system, by eating up its own companies, that's the chickens coming home to roost, ends up with a situation where we, the public, depend on fewer companies, therefore enabling them to cheat us better than they were doing before. And whose fault is it? We'll never know. We'll never be able to draw those lessons. And finally, here's a solution that you will not read about in the newspaper. Why not say we don't want to see thousands and thousands of drugstores disappear? We don't want there to be fewer. We don't trust the fewer to be any better at what they do than the right aid executives were. And by the way, they justified ruining all those little drugstores by arguing that their bringing it all under one roof would make it all more efficient. It didn't. And there's no reason to expect it. So here's the solution. Right aid should be purchased immediately by the government. It should guarantee that those drugstores stay in business by and large to serve people's medical needs. They should turn it over to the workers to be run as worker co-ops so we can all see what kind of work environment and what kind of product and service a co-op can bring. And by having all the workers involved, it won't be a secret if they make bad decisions because everybody will know since the workers themselves will be running the enterprise and will be accountable to all of us in society because it's a government enterprise. And you can be sure that those private companies, Walmart, Costco, CVS, and all the rest, will be much more likely to behave legally if they've got a real government competitor who understands that business, knows how it works, and will be much better able to carry out the anti-monopoly laws in this country than the last hundred years have seen. Richard, the opioid crisis and of course, Rite Aid is part of this story, part, not the whole story, as you're explaining. But part of the story is the opioid lawsuits. And there were three waves of opioid, the epidemic, I would say, over the last 25 years. Started in the late 1990s. The second wave sort of ends around 2013 or so. And then we're in the third wave. In this third wave, according to the U.S. government statistics, 300 people will die from opioid overdose today, and 300 will die tomorrow, and 300 will die every day this year. That's the number of people who are dying from the opioid epidemic. Since about 1998, about a million Americans have died from opioid addiction, a million. Now, West Virginia's attorney general brought lawsuits against some of the drugstore chains and some of the pharmaceuticals for what they did in terms of promoting opioid addiction in the state of West Virginia. And opioid addiction is everywhere, but it's particularly hard-hitting in smaller and rural areas. Here's some numbers. Between 2007 and 2012, drug wholesalers 
shipped to West Virginia 780 million pills of hydrocodone, the generic name for Vicodin, and oxycodone, the generic name for oxycontin. So 780 million pills in that five-year period were shipped to West Virginia drugstores. That's enough to give each resident in West Virginia 433 pills. So, Richard, obviously these capitalists who are selling drugs or whatever they sell, they don't care what they sell. They're selling things to make money. They're selling things to make a profit. They're selling things so that their investors keep investing. They don't have any actual interest in pain relief, which is what the opioids were you know, specifically designed to help with. They don't care about that. They want to sell things and they want people to buy things. So you had 780 million pills or 433 million, 433 pills per person in West Virginia shipped into that state for those five years. I mean, when you think about that, you think, okay, these capitalists wanted people to get addicted. They didn't care if they actually die because they don't care about anything except profits. And now, you know, the the penalties are lawsuits. The penalties are fines. I'm quite sure that if you or I, Richard, or anybody we know went out and deliberately set up a system that was taking the lives of lots of people, we might be charged with murder. We wouldn't be fined. Our company wouldn't have to pay a fine. We would go to jail. Anyway, let's talk about that element to this story. No, I think you're quite right. Let me try to underscore it this way. This epidemic here in the United States over the last 5, 10, 15 years has killed more people than is are currently dying in the troubles between the Palestinians and the Israelis or between the Russians and the Ukrainians and so on. We take those struggles very seriously. We want to do something to stop the death and dying in both of those areas. And yet here we have something at home, not far away as those struggles are, but right here at home and something that we could do something about much more easily than we probably could solve the problems of Russia versus Ukraine or Israel versus the Palestinians. And yet we don't do it. There's less excuse for us since we can do it. And let me be very clear. There is a drug called Narcan. I don't know what its scientific name is, but it's a drug which, if administered to a person suffering an overdose, really solves the problem. It it saves them. It's known to do that. It is used quite widely in the United States, but there's no general effort. If we distribute anti-COVID vaccines, if we distribute other things that are an epidemic we want to stop, and we do it as a government expense so that no one is denied the medication because they can't afford to buy it, my understanding is Narcan isn't even that expensive. Why are we not seeing a mandatory rule that every restaurant, every bar, every public gathering place 
have put to the side, you know, the way we demand that they all have fire extinguishers on the premises, so if a fire breaks out, they have that extinguisher there, to at least give them a chance. We've been doing this in our country successfully. What in the world would prevent us from doing this with a known drug that deals it? It's horrific. It's almost as if you have to ask yourself the question, is that drug not being distributed in all the ways that it could be because it is profitable, because people are still dying from opioids at a record number right now? It is an unspeakable blot on this country's health system and everything else that, that it is apparently powerless in the face of something it could really do something about. And yes, it's unspeakable that the corporate leaders, and by the way, it's important, not just Rite Aid, other drug companies and other companies that ship medical stuff through the mail were busily loading up on these sales of opioids that were obviously being used for the illegal drug trade and to allow people. And beyond that, shouldn't we really be asking what is it about the United States that makes millions of our young people in such pain, whether it be physical or mental, that they have to risk their lives? Because remember, the opioids that you get in the store may not be the same that you get on the street. It's cut with other things. It's mixed with other things. You know why? Because that's profitable to do, too. We have a system in which the profit incentive is literally killing us, and yet we don't ask the question, why do we live in a system that works like this? Why are we burdening people with pain and need on a scale that is not replicated in most other countries in the world on this scale that we have here. Clearly, something's going wrong. And again, we're not going to deal with it. We're going to dance these executives in front of a jury. We'll put it on TV. They'll get a fine. And you can see how effective these fines are because we have been fining examples like this for 100 years. And here we are 100 years later, back to square one. Richard, final point, as competitive capitalism has continued to morph or evolve into monopoly capitalism, where the big fish eat the small fish, the small fish sometimes are very, very big. You know, Exxon became Exxon Mobil because Mobil was a little too small, even though it was so big. And so you have these giant multinational corporations getting swallowed up by even bigger multinational corporations. So this trend of monopoly, we see it in auto. We see it certainly in steel. We see it in communications. We see it now with the drugstore chains. We see it with the pharmaceuticals. In every area of capitalist life, it's more and more monopoly. So fewer and fewer giant mega enterprises. Same with the banks, by the way. Same with the banks. And, you know, when socialists like Lenin or Kautsky or you name it, the different trends of socialism, you know, 100 years ago or 110 years ago, 
When they were writing about World War I, they, especially Lenin, said the war was the consequence of a new stage of capitalism, which he said in its briefest possible definition can be labeled monopoly capitalism. And one of the points that the socialists of that era were making is that the monopolization of the economy in a condition where labor is already socialized, labor is already collective, it makes the transition from monopoly capitalism to socialism quite simple. Because if you have just a handful of capitalist companies that do lots of planning, I'm sure Ford has a five-year plan and I'm sure GM has a five-year plan. I'm sure Rite Aid had a five-year plan when it was you know, making all of these decisions. They have planning, but the planning is all for their investors. The transition to actually making those means of production or those instruments of production or those instruments of distribution public property as opposed to private property actually becomes quite simple. Far different from the earlier era of capitalism where you maybe had millions and millions of small companies competing with each other, the capitalists themselves have already centralized the economy. They've already socialized labor. The only thing that is out of harmony with all of that is it's still privately owned. Let's just talk about this because that's the other element of this process of monopoly that I think people need to recognize. The dialectic of the of the monopoly is that it actually sets the stage for public property. Yeah, here's the, the irony. There's a real choice being made here, but it's never public. So you have to have folks like us bring it to the public's attention. You could let Rite Aid collapse. That's what they're doing. Bankruptcy, it disappears. It's cut up into pieces. Many of the pieces bought by the competitors themselves, just like Walgreens bought part of Rite Aid some years ago, as I explained. The alternative is the other option I gave you. The government takes it over. And the government takes it over to save the jobs for those tens of thousands of people, to keep drugstores available in the way that they have Rite Aid has spread them out, and to put the rest of those companies on notice. We're now the government. We are a big fish, not a little fish. You're not going to eat us up. You're going to have to worry we eat you up, and you're going to have to behave. You're not going to be able to be like a monopoly. You're not going to be able to charge what you want. You screw your workers, they'll leave you, and they'll come work here in the government because we're not going to do that. Whoa, all those Fourth of July speeches about how competition is good, they all come to a screeching halt when the competitor might be the government. And guess what? If the government said we might step in in a case like this because of the benefits we can bring, guess what would have happened? Rite Aid wouldn't have gone out of business because these other companies do not want a government competitor. And they would have made sure to make sure that Rite Aid keeps right on going because that would be the less dangerous for the profiteering they do. 
We are not well represented by a government that allows these capitalists to eat each other up because they're not doing it for the public welfare. They never have. They're doing it to win the competitive race, to make more money, to hog more customers for themselves and destroy that other company. They have no responsibility for what happens to the tens of thousands of families without a wage earner because they close the Rite Aid stores, etc. So we really have options, but carefully the mass media, together with the government and the business leaders of these companies, we make sure never to discuss what the other options might be by pretending either that they're not there or that some authority has decided they're not worth pursuing. It's a hype and a hustle, and we are the victims. And as we go out, Richard, the number of workers at Rite Aid who are now you know, on the chopping block, Rite Aid, by the way, doesn't call them workers, doesn't even call them employees, it calls them associates. Yeah. They're all working together, they're associates. There's 51,000 people, 51,000. So when you say tens of thousands of jobs, tens of thousands of families, that's not rhetoric. That's not an embellishment. 51,000 people's jobs on the chopping block. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. 